Hey, Google. Stop. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to this Sunday School Hour here at Faith Baptist Church's Facebook Live. Good to have everybody this morning. It's good to have you guys joining us over on Facebook Live. Let's take our Bibles this morning. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 20. I contemplated on whether or not to touch up on some of the details I didn't get to uh, touch on last week, but I thought maybe not so much. But I remember where we were last week, Bible-wise. We were in Genesis, yeah. I remember. Well, you know what I remember is I remember a lot of the rabbit trail. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> That's pretty fair, yeah. But I don't remember the because like I remember like the going through creation and answering. It was with yeah. So that's where we were, Genesis one. Um, the crux of the lesson was uh, more toward the like verse twenty six, the sixth day of creation. Nine, God created us in His image, so forth. Then we jumped over to chapter two, where it goes in a little greater detail about the creation of Adam, the first person. Um, the rib. We talked about the first woman created, Eve, and the rib and everything. Uh, we did touch on the curses a bit. We talked about Adam's curse uh, mostly and some of the misconceptions around that. Um, and that is where we left off at. We didn't talk about Eve's curse. This uh, curse is important when we're talking about mankind because it affects every woman uh, when she reaches maturity. But I thought maybe good not to go into detail this week. Uh, so I feel like for the most part we have covered everything um, as far as origins and creation go about mankind. So the next stop for us uh, is going to be Exodus chapter 20. And without looking, can somebody tell me what Exodus 20 is? Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, yeah. <laughs> No, I actually just listened to selection. Actually, yeah. I knew exactly where it was. Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments, and we could spend weeks talking about just the Ten Commandments. Like we could have a whole Sunday lesson on just each commandment. There's a lot to unravel there. Uh, but for our purposes, we're covering uh, the doctrine of mankind, uh, also known as. Uh, ooh, 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 uh, anthropology? Anthropology. Man, I'm on fire today. You are. You guys who've watched Bones, that's your hint. Uh, right? You told me that, like, last, like last week. Like, last week. Yeah. <laughs> Only been seven days ago. So you should do pretty good on Family Feud this week. Oh, Candy? Time to answer, like... So long as I have it, I don't mind giving it. See, not a chocolate. Oh, there's a Reese's in there. Oh, yeah. The only chocolate that's uh, acceptable. I'll grab that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you guys could have seen that on Facebook. He popped that around like he was on an episode of The Three Stooges. That was funny. <laughs> so we're in Exodus 20, and we're looking at the Ten Commandments from the view of, like, mankind. Because each of the Ten Commandments does affect man's relationships in some way. Uh, well, we're going to go over this, but the first four commandments 
have to do with our relationship toward God. Right? And then the commandments 5 through 9 have to do with our attitude toward each other, toward other people, men and women. And then the 10th commandment has to do with our attitude toward God and man. Both. And we're going to go through each of these uh, respectfully. One through four is the relationship with God. Five through nine. Nine. Each other. Is, yeah, attitude toward man. And the tenth is both. Toward man and God. So it says uh, in verse three, we see the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And this is the very first commandment. This is where God gets started. No other gods before me. Now, it is different than the commandment in verse 4, which is, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Now, verse 4 has to do with idol worship and worshiping false gods and even um, polytheism. You know, and that sort of a thing. But verse 3 is a matter of precedence, right? It's a matter of priorities. Uh, so it is different than just worshiping something that's not God. It is that, but it is also putting something before God, right? Making something more important than God, and that's why it's the first commandment. Is because it wants to teach you, right, the, the foreground of the thing, God should be the single most powerful thing that produces an emotion in our, in our life, in our mind, in our hearts. That when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, when we think about the cross, when we think about all the ways that God has been there for us in our life, these things should stir up emotions in us. I've recently been reminded how powerfully my family feels towards other members of my family. You know, we're very protective of each other. You know, you don't mess with our family. And that stirs a very powerful emotion. And we should have powerful emotions more so even than that toward God. You know, it should bother us when we hear somebody throwing the Lord's name around uh, like a byphrase, like a byword. You know, imagine if you heard somebody talking bad about your grandmother. You know, imagine if you heard somebody openly insulting your mother. You know, how angry you would get about that. We should get just as upset uh, when we hear people abusing the name of God. Um, so, no other gods before me. Those two words, before me, that's what gives us the impression of priorities. Right? Nothing comes before God. He should be the most important thing in our life. And then we have talked about the graven images, nor any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is, or that is in earth beneath. So graven images can mean idol worship, false idols. You know, you, you carve out a statue of a bird and then you start praying for that statue to help you. That's idol worship. But it can also mean making an image of God. Right? Thou shalt not have any graven images. Uh, it also means that we're not supposed to create something and say, well, this is what God looks like. 
right? Because the concept of God is meant to be somewhat abstract. We know a few things about what God looks like. We talked about that last week. Uh, but to know and to define things about God that hasn't told us about himself, that we don't know for sure, that is uh, what verse 4 is talking about as well. And so we're not supposed to make anything that we think looks like God. Uh, verse 5 says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Uh, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. That is, in fact, a very jealous God. Yeah. Uh, the next uh, commandment we can find in verse 7 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So this is also another one of those things, right? doesn't necessarily mean just something you, one specific thing you say, because you hear a lot of people say this means um, cussing, to use God's name, right? That is what you hear a lot of people say, this means. Then you'll have a lot of other people who will say, no, it doesn't mean that. It means that when you take God's name with you out in the world as a Christian or as a believer in God, that you take it in vain. Like it means nothing in your life. It doesn't affect your life. It doesn't change your life. You're taking God in vain. And it, it doesn't mean one of those things or the other. It, it can mean both. Because it's a matter of taking his name in vain. It's a matter of God's name having an emptiness about it in your mind. Right? When you think of God or you say the name of God, that it holds no value in your mind. Right? That is the, the sin of this commandment. It's not one of these things or the other. It's a matter of what takes place in your head. So if you're able to go out and say God's name, and it means nothing to you, yes, that is a sin. But also, if you go out, claim to be a Christian, you know, putting posts on social media about going to church and posting Bible verses and stuff, and then you live around people who aren't Christians, you know, in a very sinful manner and lifestyle, you know, you, you lie, you betray, you cuss, you, you know, smoke and drink and cheat and all these things, then you're taking God's name in vain. It's, it's not doing anything for you in your life. And so that is also what it means. Um, let's see. Verse 8 is the next one. Uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, we believe, and this is an important thing to note, is that in your traditional Baptist church, most people are going to believe like we do, that the Sabbath day is no longer considered Saturday, like it was originally. We now believe that the Sabbath day is Sunday. We do this for a couple of reasons. Uh, in the New Testament, you can see a change. Number one is because Sunday is the day that Jesus died on. Right? So that is the new holy day for that reason, because it was the day Jesus died on. Also, you can see in the New Testament that after Jesus dies, that is now the day that the church meets on. It's not Saturday. In the New Testament, after Jesus dies on the cross, they are meeting together on Sundays. And it's not just one day. You can see that many times throughout the Bible that they're meeting on Sundays now, so long as they can. Because remember, the church was being persecuted and people were being killed. So... 
oftentimes they would meet just whenever they were able to. But if they had the choice, it would be on a Sunday. So you can see where between the setting down of the Old Testament and the setting up of the New Testament, that is one of the things that changes. Is the holy day is now reverenced on Sunday instead of Saturday. But I really think the whole crux of it is to have one day out of the week that is the Sabbath day. And you might think that it's Saturday, you might think that it's Sunday, but whichever one that is, it's important to give God that day. Right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How do you keep a day holy? You dedicate it to the Lord. Right? You make it about Him. Uh, for example, if we were going to have a birthday party, all the things that we did would be about the person whose birthday we're celebrating. If Amanda was having a birthday and I wanted to uh, put a special day together for her, I would put up a happy birthday banner. You know, I'd maybe blow up some balloons. Maybe I'd take her out and uh, buy her a special Starbucks drink or you know, maybe I'd take her to go see a movie she's been dying to see, or maybe I'd take her do a dangerous thing for a husband to do and take her to Target to go shopping. I know. Ooh. I know it. But it would all be about her, wouldn't it? Maybe we come home and there's guests and everybody's at our house and they're there for the purpose of celebrating Amanda. We have a cake and we eat the cake and the purpose of eating the cake is to celebrate Amanda. You know, the day is about her in that way, and Sunday is the same way for God. The day should be about God. Now, you might do things on a Sunday that don't necessarily have to do with God. Like, for example, it may be Amanda's birthday, and I may, you know, sit down and watch a TV show while she's getting ready to go out. That's not about Amanda, but that doesn't mean the day isn't about her. When Sunday's over here today, we're going to eat lunch. Uh, we're going to probably watch some sort of a sports thing if it's on, you know. Uh, our last case scenario was golf. That is the last possible thing they will allow me to put on the TV. Um, I would probably be a Rangers game or something if they're playing. Uh, but that might not be about the Lord, but that doesn't mean that our Sunday is not about the Lord anymore. Uh, for example, your life can be about God. You, your life can be about what God wants, what pleases the Lord, and avoiding what displeases the Lord, even though you don't use the word Jesus or God every third word in every sentence. It doesn't have to be like that in order for you to reverence God with your life. So remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy is about, uh, you know, going to church. It's about... Uh, singing the hymns. It's about listening to the Bible being taught and preached. It's about praying and, and doing all the things that make it a holy day unto the Lord in the same way that all the things we would do for Amanda's birthday about her. You know, it's about making it about God, remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. And you'll hear those people who will say, well, I'm respecting God in my own way, even though I'm not going to church to do it. That's not respecting God. That's not how that works. It says in the New Testament that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. No problem with people volunteering. I have no problem with people donating of their time and donating of themselves, you know. But I find it funny that it has to be those two hours on a Sunday. You know, you've got a whole week worth of time to donate, but you're only going to donate those two hours on Sunday during church service. 
Bible says that church is an important place for Christians to be. Now, it doesn't have to be my church. If you have a church that you attend, that you enjoy, great, more power to you. I hope you continue to enjoy that for many years to come. But church is a place where Christians should be. There are no exceptions to God's rules. What applies to me applies to you. If I should be in church, then you should be in church, right? Uh, there are no more special rules for me than they are for you. Imagine if I didn't show up to church. I just woke up one Sunday and rolled over, looked at Amanda, said, I don't feel like going this morning. I think I'm going to sleep in and, you know, watch a movie or something. That'd be awfully difficult to do because you guys have to do is walk down the hallway and be like, are you coming out here today? It's important for everybody to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Um, then that brings us to verse 12. And verse 12 says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth you. And so this is another very important commandment to honor your father and your mother. And this is one of those um, situational commandments because it says to honor your father and your mother. And that is not necessarily obeying. Right? It doesn't say obey your father and your mother because once you become an adult, sort of your decisions are upon yourself. Right? Mom and dad aren't always there to tell you what to do. So honoring your father and your mother is something that uh, you always do. And your decisions reflecting upon the way that you, the way that you were raised. I can tell you uh, firsthand, if I see somebody who's rude and obnoxious, uh, somebody who's always got their nose up in the air and looking down on what everybody else likes and making fun of people, it, it tells me something about the way that their parents raised them. You know, it tells me something about what they got by with at home, the way that they were allowed to behave, you know, and that sort of a thing. And it does. It reflects on the kind of childhood you had. So honoring your father and your mother, not always about obeying, it's about the way that you choose to live. And it's not something that this isn't a commandment that dies away when you become an adult. This is a commandment that you live with your whole life. Uh, verse 13 has been one that has tried my patience this week, especially. Uh, Thou shalt not kill. And uh, boy, sometimes I know in traffic that's tempting to be like, Have you at, at all? No, there's no, there's no give on that one whatsoever. But this is what we're going to talk about for a second, because there is some controversy around this commandment, thou shalt not kill. Because number one, we see it says thou shalt not kill, but then there are times where God will command uh, his king or his judge to go out and kill somebody. And then we see here in the Ten Commandments, it says thou shalt not kill, and people will say that's a contradiction in the Bible. However, it's not. And I know it says here, black and white, thou shalt not kill. But once again, with the Bible, you have to have context, right? So it doesn't mean thou shalt not kill. And you're putting context on it anyways in your argument. Because you're assuming it's talking also about people. And that's pretty fair. It is probably talking about people, but it doesn't say it's talking about people. You know, it could mean thou shalt not kill at all, period. So, I mean, it could go as far as to say every time you swat that mosquito that you've broken God's law, right? It doesn't say that that's not what it means. 
But we could probably assume pretty fairly it doesn't mean mosquitoes. Right? We can probably assume pretty fairly that there is a context to what God is saying. Everything we've been talking about so far has been about the first four uh, were about our attitude toward God. And the next we can see the context is our attitude toward mankind. Right? We're not talking about a king going and fighting a war against an invading army. Right? We're not talking about tearing down an oppressor. You know, we're not talking about killing a tribe of people who sacrifice uh, innocent babies uh, to the fires of their God. Right. Which is all was often the case when Israel was told to go in and take battle with somebody. Uh, we're talking about. A Cain and Abel situation. Right. We're talking about. Evil intent of the heart, right? We're talking about a man or a woman in their anger and in their wrath going out and taking a life of their own choosing because that was the evil they decided they were going to do. That was the solution to the problem that they had. You know, we're not talking about defending yourself. And we're not talking about when it is absolutely necessary. Talking about just doing something you know you should have done. And as you look through the Bible and you see the examples of times where God has told somebody to go kill somebody, it is always a last resort. Right? It was never the first option. Uh, Can anybody give me an example of this throughout the Bible where God told somebody to go kill somebody? The judge, Deborah? Yeah. Samson. You're batting all around it, but you've got All I know is that she, like... Wasn't Deborah. You're, you've gotten all the characters wrong, but okay. you're, you're in the you're in the right ballpark, <laughs> right? You just keep hitting fouls. It's fine. I don't remember her name. Um... Deborah was the name of the judge, but she wasn't the one that did it, right? And it wasn't a guard or a servant. It was the, the leader of the army, right? And he came into the, the tent of a woman that was the wife of a member of his army, right? And he came in to rest, and her name was Sisera. Uh, no, his name was Sisera. Her name was Jael. J-A-E-L. Yeah. His name was Cicero, her name was Dale, and he laid down to get some rest while he was running away from Deborah and Barak, and she drove a railroad spike through his head. That is true. It's also not something that we read that God expressly told her to do. Right? It is something that happened, and it helped Israel, and we're glad that it happened. Uh, but it isn't something that we hear God saying, go and put that railroad spike through his head. You know? Anybody think of a story where that was the case? Okay. Conquer the land. Do we think that conquering the land meant that he had to go through and kill everybody? I think there was a way he could have conquered them. He was told to leave nothing behind. Could he have just chased them out of the land and let them live? And plus, he didn't even attack one city. He just marched around it and God also followed it. That's right. What about King Saul? 
Does anybody remember the story of the day King Saul lost his right to the throne? Spirit. It was way before that. Yeah. There's a story where God tells Saul to go into a specific uh, village and kill everything. Nothing left alive, not even the cattle, right? Everything must die. We're kind of remembering now. Yeah. And Saul leaves the cattle for his men to have as a reward for them, and then he tithes off of them. Right? Sorry, God, here's your 10%, whatever. And that is what happens, and that is why God sends his prophet Samuel to go and tell him, you're done. You're no longer God's king. Uh, But before we get to all of that, we do hear God telling Saul, go and destroy everything in this village. Women and children, they all must die. Right? Because it was absolutely necessary. These were heathens, and they were sacrificing babies on the altars to the fires of Molech. They would put innocent babies on, a, on an altar and would burn them alive. And such evil, God decided, must be utterly destroyed. If one child was left alive of that culture, then its, uh, its horrible traditions would have continued to live. God wanted it utterly destroyed in their land entirely. God only condones violence when it becomes absolutely necessary. If there is another way, that is what he will do. Right? But God never condones violence if there is any other possible way out of it. So when we say thou shalt not kill, this is what we mean. Don't kill anybody. The only time in Scripture we see God going against that is when it had to happen. Right? There was no other possible way. Uh, the next one is verse 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Right? And, and then the, the questions from this come up, and they say, well, if I've never been married, then I can never commit adultery. Well, you're thinking in three dimensions, right? But God doesn't think in three dimensions. He thinks in four dimensions. Anybody know what the fourth dimension has to do with? No? Time. Anybody ever read that book, The uh, Time Machine by H.G. Wells? There's There's a whole, the book starts with him giving this lecture about how we think in three dimensions and that there's actually a fourth dimension to reality and the fourth dimension has to do with time because we think of things as they happen in our present, right? That is reality. But when we're talking about the fourth dimension, we're talking about like all of time at one point, right? Taking the whole thing, almost like you're looking at the whole history of the earth, like it's one big storyboard. You're looking at the whole thing at one time. You know, uh, any Danny Phantom fans in here? Anybody remember Clockmaster or whatever his name was? Clockworks? Clockworks. Yeah. And uh, him talking about the parade analogy and how the timekeepers looked at time like it was a parade. 
and they're standing on the street and they're watching it pass one thing at a time. But he sees time from above, like a bird's eye view, right? And he sees every twist and turn it takes or might not take. That's how God sees reality, right? Is in four dimensions. And so basically what I'm saying here is you can still cheat on the spouse that you haven't married yet, right? Because you will marry that person at some point. You will get married. You will want to be faithful to that person. And just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not adultery. Teenagers and young adults need to understand this concept. Uh, fornication can still be considered adultery, even though you haven't been married yet. Uh, verse 15. Did I break people's brains with that just now? Are we kind of. Hold the finger to your ear. As the brain fluid starts to leak out, it will solidify, kind of like jello in the freezer. Yeah, but then your ears. So long as the brains are still in there. I've been working with one ear for a decade now. Uh, thou shalt not steal. Right? And this is one of those commandments that is universal, unilateral, never, oh, this is never okay. Thou shalt not steal. Right, stealing never be necessary. Right now, you hear of these people who steal food in order to not starve to death. Okay, that is very different. However, there are people willing to help the hungry. Right, soup kitchens are a thing. There are a lot of churches that have uh, food pantries and so forth. Now, realize that they ask you to shame yourself in front of God and everybody a lot of times, and that shouldn't be the case. Uh, but there are people out there willing to help uh, people that are hungry, and stealing doesn't have to be a measure we go to out of desperation. All of these things have to do with this, right? It is easy to do the right thing when everything's going right, when everything's going well, when you've got plenty of money, when nothing bad is happening to you. It's easy to do the right thing, then. What really defines who you are as a Christian and as a person is how you behave when things aren't going well for you, when things are going poorly, when, when you're at the end of your rope, desperate, and you don't know what to do. How do you behave then? That determines the kind of person you are and the kind of Christian you are. Right, verse 16, we have the next commandment. It says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That is basically lying. Right? Bearing false witness against your neighbor, that is lying. Uh, you also notice that a lot of these commandments are basic and fundamental laws in every country around the world and throughout history. Right? Every country has had a law about stealing. It's against the law anywhere you go. You can't just walk into a store, take what you want to, and run. There are going to be police in any country you go to that are going to arrest you for that. Right? If you go in and stab somebody because you're bored and you kill them, you're going to get arrested for that. You're going to spend a lot of time in jail if you don't get the death penalty. Right? There are laws against that. If you go and you take the stand and you lie to the judge, you lie to the court about what happened that you're giving a testimony about, there are consequences for that everywhere you go, right? So these Ten Commandments that are being given here in Exodus 20 are foundational to the very basics of what it means to be a human being, 
right? These are temptations we have. I can go and hurt this person. It'll make my life easier. So that's what I'm going to go do. That is the temptations of being a human. And it is what we wrestle against in order to be the kind of person that Christ wants you to be. Right? And it is the, the struggle we have every single day. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor is not just about don't lie. It's about the kind of person you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be an honest person. You don't be dishonest every time you think it'll benefit you. You take the L. You take the loss and you be honest and you suffer the consequences of being honest in a world that doesn't want the truth to be heard. People don't want to hear the truth. They don't. They want you to tell them what they already think so they can continue to feel good about themselves. They don't want to hear the truth. And when you tell them the truth, they're going to get mad at you. They're going to be people that punish you. There may be even times at work where if you're going to try to be an honest person in the workplace, you will be punished for it. There are going to be times in relationships that if you try to be honest in your relationship, you're going to be punished for it. So then you ask yourself, what is the purpose of being honest if all I ever catch for it is grief? You need to refocus your purpose. You are not honest because it benefits you. You are not righteous because it benefits you. You are honest and you are righteous because the most honest and the most righteous being to ever live took your filthy sins, took your horrible things, and died on the cross to become those things so that you might escape the hell you deserve for your lies. And you don't do it because you have to. You don't do it because you'll be punished if you don't. You do it because a very good friend of yours asked you to. Jesus asked you to. And if he means anything at all to you, you're going to want to do your friend this favor. It is not because you have to. It is because after he died for you, after he lived for you, after he resurrected and is currently sitting at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, pleading your case, right now, he asked you this favor. You ever done any friend a favor before? Jesus deserves for you to do him this favor. And then we come to the last of the Ten Commandments. And the, the last of the Ten Commandments we find in verse 17. And it says, Thou shalt not covet. And it says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Uh, thou shalt not cover, covet thy neighbor's wife. Hello. Thou sh- uh, nor his manservant. Getting a little weird now. Nor his maidservant. Nor his ox. Nor his ass. Nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Right. So this is something that has to do with both our relationship with other people and our relationship with God. Right. Because when I look at something somebody else has and I say, I don't have one of those. I want one of those. I deserve one of those. Why don't I have one of those? That is a twofold problem in my heart. Right. Because firstly, it's a problem that I have with that person, because what I'm saying when I'm saying that is I deserve that and they don't. 
right? And that's a bad attitude to have, and most of the time it's just not true, right? Because the equation of that you're not taking into account is you're saying they don't deserve that thing that they have. And that's a pretty horrible way to look at people, to say you don't deserve that. You're not good enough to have one of those. That's not fair. Right? So that's a problem with mankind. Also, it's a problem with God, because what you're saying in essence is, I should have one of those, and I don't. God's being mean to me. I deserve to have this good thing, and I don't have it, so God's picking on me. What we've been dealing with that a little bit with the book of Job. We just last week came into a, a good and neutral third party called Elihu. And uh, most of you probably never heard of Elihu. That's because Elihu is a young man who is getting on to older men and is right in doing so. Uh, And, you know, churches don't want you to hear about that because they're old men that are a lot like Job's friends and are wrong. They don't want the younger people telling them how they're wrong. So you might not have heard of Elihu, but he's in there. And he's, he's telling Job, now Job, I'm not real happy with you either because you're kind of having this attitude that we're talking about here. God hasn't done right by me. Right? So it's not just our problem. Coveting isn't just a problem between us and each other. It's also a problem with us and God because God has done right by you. Right? If all God ever did was save you and never blessed you or answered a single prayer in your life, then he's still done right by you. And he's still giving you more than you deserve. Right? But he does answer our prayers. He might not answer every single one of your prayers. It's not a yes to all, like in Bruce Almighty. But <laughs> it's because if you've seen that movie, you know some of those answers to prayer are not good for you. Everybody won the lottery, and there was like $12 each. So that is the problem with coveting. These things have to do with mankind. And the Ten Commandments are so huge because... They do reflect who we are as a species, who we are as a created uh, being. This is what people are. These are our, our, our pitfalls and our shortcomings. And these are the places the devil knows he can attack us at. And I know this has been kind of a – and going through a list of commandments is, can always be a little bit heavy if it's not done right. But – I do also want to preface it by saying this, not preface it because we're done, but I do also want to wrap it up by saying this. You cannot really and truly appreciate Mount Calvary the way that you should until you have first beforehand stopped to visit Mount Sinai. Right? You can't really appreciate salvation until you have seen the list of commandments that we've broken. Right? Because if you go into the doctor and the doctor gives you some pills and he says, start taking these and you'll feel better, you'll be cured. Are you going to start taking those pills? Not if the doctor hasn't told you there's anything wrong with you, right? Yeah, you just walk into the doctor's office and he says, here's some pills. Have a nice day. You say, what are the pills for? Oh, don't worry about it. Well, why do I need the pills? Say, well... Just, just, just know that it's 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 something you need. You know, these will help you. You need this. You need these pills. Yeah, but why? why? What's wrong with me? Why do I need these pills? Well, you know, I don't want to bog you down. I want to ruin your day. Now, I just want you to know, here are these pills, and they'll help you when you need. Them. Like, you know, Doc, I'm good. 
right? That's what happens when we talk to people about Jesus. Hey, Jesus loves you. Great. So does my mom. Big deal. Right? You know, hey, Jesus died for you. Well, that was nice of him, but I don't know why I needed him to die for me. Like, thanks, but I'm good. Because they don't understand they need him. Right? We're scared to death to talk to people about sin about the Ten Commandments, and it's because of these angry preachers that run around and point fingers and saying, you read Harry Potter, you're going to hell. You know, these guys that say, oh, that boy, 14-year-old boy, sit next to that 14-year-old girl, and now they're going to hell. You know, and all these things, and they come in here, you know, I've actually heard preachers say before, well, I'm not going to say that if you commit these specific sins that you lost your salvation because we don't believe in that. But I will say if you commit those sins, maybe you were never saved to begin. And I'm like, that is just like right here. That is the same thing. You just want to be able to say it, but you can't because you're a Baptist. And because of those people. We have one extreme, right, or the other extreme. We have people who will say, you know, everything's bad, everything's sinful, everything's horrible, and we're only going to talk about these things. And then you have these people over here that say everything's good, everything's wonderful, everything's happy, everything's joyous, and we're only going to talk about these things. Neither one of these things accurately reflect life, right? You have bad days, right? You have Sinai days. Right. You have the the thunderings and the lightnings and the times that you're scared. You don't know what to do. You also have really good days where nothing bad happens. It was just a fantastic day at the beach. The watermelon was terrific. The water was perfect and it was a wonderful day. Nobody got in a fight. That is probably five percent on each side. Right. Because most of your life is a mixture of both. Right. You've had some bad moments. You've had some good moments. And whatever happened last is usually what defines your day. That is life, and it is in the middle. And I can't only talk to you about the bad things, and I can't only talk to you about the good things. Because like the Ten Commandments, and like the Bible, it's a mixture of both. And that is human life. All right, so real quick, I want to talk to you about a few verses in Romans 5. And uh, that will sort of wrap up our series here on what we believe about. Romans, the first five books of Romans, and we've got a series on Romans in, on Wednesday nights, but the first five books of Romans, uh, it almost is like a, uh, a courtroom drama. Anybody ever watch like Law and Order? I never did either, really. But I know a lot of people are into that show. What's a courtroom drama that people like to watch? Suits, okay, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen much of that. Boston I haven't seen Legal. one episode. Boston Legal, I've seen some of that, yeah. Uh, like a, like one of those courtroom drama TV shows, you know, I'm not talking about People's Court or Judge Judy. Those Perry are Mason. That's Perry Mason. Mason, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was that one where uh, Sheriff Taylor was a judge, or was a lawyer? Oh, oh, oh Matlock. 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 Matlock, yeah courtroom drama, and you can kind of see that in the first five uh, chapters of Romans, it kind of goes through, uh, it goes through three different kinds of people, and it puts away their excuses uh, for their uh, sin. And the first one is pagan man, and the excuse he has for his sin is ignorance. 
right? Pagan man doesn't know about God. Pagan man doesn't know about Jesus or sin. So why should he be held uh, accountable to a law he doesn't know anything about? Right? Ignorance, except Romans 1 talks to us about the law that's within our hearts, the law that we apply to the world around us and how God reveals himself to us in his creation. The invisible things of him uh, are clearly seen uh, in the world. It says there in Romans 1. So what happens there is basically what it's saying is, is that God puts within each and every one of us a small amount of light. And if we respond to that light, he gives us a little more, even for, he, even for pagan man. Pagan man gets a little light, and if he responds to it, he gets a little more and a little more. And it's my firm belief that if pagan man responds to enough of the light that God's put within him, a missionary is sent to that man. The gospel is sent to him in some way. And he receives the gospel if he responds to that light. I, just, I fully believe that is what happens. Then we come to the second one, which is moral man. Right? This almost sounds like uh, supervillains. Moral man. Moral man, uh, his defense is indifference. It's comparative morality. Uh, you do the same thing as the heathen, but in a more refined way. Right. Uh, moral man is trying to live a good life. They don't know about God. They don't know about Jesus, so they can't accept him. But they do try to live their life in such a way that they are a good person. Right. And that is their defense into getting into heaven. Except the only problem is you don't get into heaven based on how good or how bad you are. The only access to heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, Jesus says. A moral man is without excuse. And then we see religious man. A religious man's defense is innocence. Right? Uh, it's a cumulative morality. You do not keep the law, uh, and as a Jew, had more light through their rituals. Right? So, because he is a religious man, because... Uh, he performed all the religious rites, therefore he should have access to the kingdom of heaven. And this is a lot of what we see in uh, like the Catholic Church, right? You perform the seven sacraments, right? And that's what they believe. They believe that they receive salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, just like we believe that. Only for them, they believe it's distributed through the seven sacraments. Uh, if if you do the seven different things that the Catholic Church tells you to do, then you can go to heaven. And if you don't do those things, then you can pay the Catholic Church a certain amount of money, and they will pray you uh, your relative out of heaven. <coughs> that is how it works in the Catholic Church. right? That is religious man, and that is his defense. The only problem with that is when Jesus saw them selling sacrifices outside of the temple, what did he do? He went and flipped over the money changers, right? He started knocking tables over and screaming and literally whipping people with a whip. I want that Bible illustration, right? I don't need to see Jesus sitting next to a lamb with some sort of a light bulb behind his head we can't see. You know, I don't need that one. I want the one with tables up in the air and people running from him screaming while he's got a whip in his hand like Indiana Jones. Right. That's the that's the illustration I want. Imagine what he'd do if he saw a Catholic church today. Goodness gracious. He'd be whipping priests out of there left and right. Thought of a joke that would be entirely yeah, inappropriate. I, I could not say it, but uh, there would definitely be some punishment going on in the Catholic church. 
But in Romans 5, and we're going to read just a couple of verses. Um, we're going to read in verse, I think it's verse 17. It says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Did I? Yeah. So by one man's offense, death reigned by one. What are we talking about there? For by one man's offense, one man's offense, you know, an offense is something you did you shouldn't have done. So by sending your... Right, who are we talking about? We said one man. Who is that one man? Adam. By one man's offense, by one man's uh, offense, death reigned by one. So we're talking about Adam. And death has reigned for as long as Adam committed that sin. Right? Uh, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. So who are we talking about there? Not, not Jesus specifically, the but people who saved, right? The those they which receive abundance of grace—that's right. us, right? Um, the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. It gives us the answer there: Jesus Christ, right? Therefore, as by one offense—I'm sorry. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under the justification of life. So we see there the parallel. The last Adam, or the first Adam, bringing death upon all men. The last Adam, Jesus, bringing life upon all men. And notice there also it says, and I just want to throw this in there because I am constantly putting Calvinism to death by reading the Bible. Uh, the free gift came upon all men, right? Not the ones Jesus decided he liked before the worlds began. All men. The free gift came upon all men. You cannot argue with that. There is no loophole out of that one. The free gift came upon all men. All men may not have received the free gift, but it was given. It was offered to everybody. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That is God's most beautiful and wonderful ability. It is to take the most horrific, horrendous, horrible things mankind is capable of and overcome them and repair the damage and Bridge the gap between us and him. Of all the amazing things we talked about God doing, that is the single most amazing. I am far beyond my time, and I do apologize, but we are done with why we believe what we believe about mankind. Next week, we will start our next series. And we will be back at, uh, what do we say? Let's say 10 after. We'll be back at 10 after uh, for the Sunday morning service.